<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grizzly Jack gets to the best of us. Yeah, dude. If this is uh, reproducible. What's up, MP3? Come on in. Recording? Yeah, we are. We've got a special guest. Mahesh Patel is here. We no shoes on as expected. We hear he's going for PGY 21 for a new cardiology fellowship. I know, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment to his parents as always. Yeah. <laughs> You're certainly going to spice this. You I can, got a quick question. Yeah. Here, seriously. You can um, totally go okay. into interventional ID if you want. Chest pain? Chest pain. Where were we? I think we were just talking about what we Squiggly wanted. Squiggly black lines on a pink piece of paper. Yeah, yeah exactly. There we go. All right. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Chief Cast. We are here with a previous chief uh, to talk to us a little bit about what he's currently doing. Uh, this is part of uh, our kind of effort to try to improve communication with consultants. Um, this is an idea that Gus kind of brought to us, and we recently interviewed Katie Kaplar from ID. Um, Umer is here to help us interview our boy, our previous chief, the man, John Mayer. Welcome, John Mayer. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, as you know, AML, it's not previous chief. Once a chief, always, always a chief. Always a chief. It's a, yeah. it's... My favorite story is no matter what meeting I am, and this is probably going to happen <laughs> until forever. age 70. I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. If something goes back bad with the AV, immediately they look at me. The entire room will look directly at me, saying, they're like, and I'm in the yeah. back eating a, a pizza, you know, yeah. been and, awake for three days. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's also, the, the look that you get, it's like, why aren't you up there already? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, uh, perfect. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, what do you guys think? So, Umer, you guys, you know, consult cardiology frequently, I'm sure, uh, the heart, I heard, is somewhat important. It's this special organ where our feelings lie. Um, so hopes and dreams as well. Hopes and dreams sometimes. For for some of you that still have those. <laughs> yeah. Some doodling that, yeah. that the residency hasn't pressed them out of you yet. So what would you want to learn from cardiology, or know from cardiology, I should say, about their workflow that you think could improve resident communication? And, and John, same to you, kind of we'll talk as we go about what you think we could be doing better or just some common common things. Um, so go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think cardiology is one of the most common consultants that we do, and especially it's important from a medicine service because a lot of based on what cardiology is going to tell us is whether they're going to be NPO, whether they're going to be discharged, oh, yeah. um, all this good stuff when a patient's demanding to have lunch and we haven't heard from the esteemed cardiology fellows, yeah. we don't know what to tell them. So I think one would be first off just saying, I mean, you're a newly first-year fellow, um, coming off a of chief resident year, but just the workflow of kind of how you dissect things once you get in. Um, you know, do you guys staff with the attendings in the morning or, you know, what the way that way we know when to communicate and how to communicate with you. Yeah, great. So your we, day starts at 10.30? Yeah, yeah. We roll out of bed around, you know, 9, 9.30, get there around <laughs> 10, uh, you know, open up uh, Yahoo. No. So I think nuts and bolts first. Just remember there's, it's a three-year program for most of us. There's five fellows per year. But we also have interventional uh, and EP, uh, you know, super fellows as well. And so at the university, 
you know, generally we'll have one fellow on the CCU, uh, one fellow on consults, and one fellow on EP. I think that's one thing that some people don't realize, especially early on at UIC, is that we're going to have a different fellow for the consult service as well as the EP service, but they all kind of funnel through the consult fellow. So I think to think about uh, one thing when you're calling consults, just let us know if you think it would be better for general cardiology, you know, general ACS, valvular problems, other things, or if it's an electrical problem, and then we would be talking to different attendings in that scenario. Is it only one pager? Uh, so we all have our own pagers. You can find them on the MION site with the password cards, and you can find the attendings pagers, uh, all types of information there. But really the the, the general uh, fellow consult pager, the CCU fellow will also carry a pager, um, and then the interventional fellow will also carry a pager as well. Gotcha. So kind of the best way to triage for this would be to kind of, you know, if you think you have an EP disorder, you can just directly call the EP fellow then? You can. I think calling the general uh, consult fellow is fine. Just have in your in your head, I think just general good hygiene, consulting hygiene, or uh, asking for a consult hygiene. It's like have a good question, exactly what you want, not like, hey, you know, and, and medicine is not guilty of this at all, but like, uh, you know, have a question rather than this patient has a heart and we're going to do surgery. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, uh, not something I've gotten, but. Absolutely. But as specific as possible can be very helpful for us. And so, you know, generally we're, we have uh, our own conferences as well. So we'll have conferences in the morning. We'll have conferences usually at one to two. That's kind of when our, you know, every day we'll have a conference from those times. So from if it's one not, to two? From one to two. Okay. And so a lot of things that kind of, you know, like, oh, it took you 45 minutes to get back to me. It's because a lot of the consults are called immediately after noon conference and then we're in conference. So I think, you know, if it's not emergent, if you could wait till two o'clock, that would help us out a lot. I guess that's helpful to know because that means rounding isn't going to start till two-ish. Uh, not necessarily. So, you know, we'll kind of uh, staff uh, urgent consults all throughout the day. We have very close contacts with our attendings, not as much as uh, as I felt in, in medicine. We're, we're kind of touching base back and forth quite a bit. And, um, and do you guys have conference every day? Uh, generally every day. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of learning, guys. That's a lot of learning. Sometimes <laughs> we have, and I do, we got conference about, you know, two or three times a week. <laughs> I guess the heart is a little bit more complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we're just that much, uh, starting for that much lower. The, yeah. I, the general <laughs> ID fellows are, are leaps and bounds past the gotcha. cardiology fellows. Gotcha. And so that's just generally how our day works. So we'll get there, uh, you know, the, we'll take over the pager at 7 a.m. from the night person. That's when we switch. Um, kind of look things over. Usually we're showing her up around 7.30 or 8, um, looking through all our consults, seeing all our consults with the medical students, and we'll generally have a plan and have touch base with the attending before the note is written in, in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of rounding is, you know, as most consulting services in that kind of two to three range is when we'll be staffing with the attending. Is that the same at the VA? VA, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, so again, there's going to be a general um, consult service and an EP consult service, and they're staffed by two different attendings. EP is just going to be uh, dependent on who it is. They cover both hospitals. It's the same attending okay. for both hospitals. Uh, but for general uh, cardiology, it's uh, usually we'll round earlier in the morning, I think, at, at the VA. Uh, and if we don't have an answer back kind of by noontime, maybe give us a call and say, hey, did you guys talk about this? I haven't heard anything. And maybe, you know, it's just uh, on our end, you know, bad consulting hygiene and not letting the teams know. Yeah, absolutely. So I think 
definitely coming from, and it took me a while to learn this through residency, but you know, a lot of times interns have this generalized anxiety about consulting services because they don't know what they're going to be asked. They don't know exactly first, you know, maybe they'll start just have a verb word moment where they'll say a bunch of things, but then not portray a question. And it took me a while to realize that actually talking to the fellows, especially as the year progresses, is the most learning that you're going to get, even without them staffing the attending, because these fellows are just recently out of uh, residency. They know how to re relate to the residents, yeah. and they know superior more about cardiology or infectious disease and such. So how would you say is like a good a good way for, like, even before, say, um, you get a full staff, but just having a full educational learning when you're discussing the patient over the phone to try to approach just for to stimulate so they know what's going on? Yeah, I think, you know, we look at the problems uh, almost completely the flip side of a lot of things. I think, you know, as a you know general medicine person, I would be like, okay, they're, you know, going to the cath lab and things like that, or they're not going to the cath lab. I don't understand why. But the thing is that we kind of want to know first and foremost, if you're calling about chest pain, you know, what you know, uh, are the things that would keep them from going to the cath lab. We're looking for contraindications more than anything. And I think sometimes that's where we get, uh, you know, pushback, like, why aren't you doing this? But we're thinking about it, you know, we would like to do this, but can't. And that's, can the patient get these huge IV boluses of heparin? When we're in the cath lab, if they're getting an intervention, they're going to get a huge bolus of heparin, more than we give uh, on the floor by a, a, you know, tremendous amount. Can they get dual antiplatelets for a year uh, or at least a month, really? We need a month um, on all of our, our, our uh, stents now, drug looting or not. One month will be, we get it through a month, we can probably take it off. Uh, but really just kind of think about the trajectory of this patient, you know, is the patient stable? That's really what we want to know first and foremost, like get that out of the way, you know, this patient's heart rate is 110. And I'm just going to be like, okay, I don't really care. Like, what are the blood pressure? Blood pressure is fine. You know, this can wait <clears throat> and doesn't need to, you know, this Blood pressure or heart rate's 110 and, and their blood or heart rate's 110 and their blood pressure 60. You know, I need to know that up front. You know, gotcha. hemodynamically stable or unstable, first and foremost on any kind of console. So being really. a, being on the front lines of cardiology as a fellow, um, you have to put sometimes deal immediately with life and death situations, and every call could be one of those. And I think it's it's up to us to let you know when something is urgent, when something is emergent. Yeah. Uh, and when something is just routine yeah. and no, knowing the vital signs and information that could sway you one way or another yeah. um, is important to know, too. Yeah, yeah I'm going to want to know vital signs. I'm going to want to know, you know, hemoglobin, platelets, coags, um, you know, I, I, troponin, I guess, is, is kind of actually kind of tertiary to me. You know, I, EKG, I have looked at the EKG yourself. Um, and confirm, you know, with the patient. No, don't say the ER said this patient was having chest pain. That just came in last night. The patient was like, I don't know where that came from. They just make up things and it perpetuates and it was in, you know, three different notes just today, so. Interesting. What's the best way to, you know, have you take a look at EKG? Um, of course, you know, I don't know if you have like a fax machine. I don't know <laughs> if, if, you know, do you, have access to the end, you know, to the to the Cerner and to PAX or whatever, Muse yeah. or whatever it's called. Um, and we're always happy to look at uh, EKGs if it's, you know, don't think it needs a consult, but you're confused at what's going on. You know, there's a kind of two different ways. You can, you know, send it to me with, you know, a name and everything redacted as you can, uh, just a text message. I can look at, you know, very... You know, just a de-identified squiggle. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put, you know, put that black marker over there and just send it to me. And, you know, these modern phones are great. Uh, if I'm in the hospital, I'll have Muse open almost every station I'm at. Uh, but I think, you know, if there's two different questions, right, is, 
like, hey, teach me about this ECG, or hey, does this ECG look okay? And if you want me to, you know, teach you about the ECG, just have it in front of you and ask me to come by the room. Be happy to do that on the consulting service. Just find a time when convenient for everybody, and we can kind of go over rhythm strips or ECGs um, and go from there. Cool. So you would say, so kind of starting with different categories of things uh, that you might get called for, you know, chest pain is probably a common one. What would you think, you know, residents should communicate on the phone? You know, I think, do you think this is anginal chest pain or do you not? I think a resident, you know, if pressed on that information, they can tell you, I think this is anginal. I do not think this is anginal. Yeah, I think, you know, I think in general, just give us your, your solid, whether you think this is, uh, you know, anginal chest pain, how long this pain has been going on is key. You know, if this pain has been going on for three weeks and their proponent is 0.5 or 0.05, you know, this is not something, and the ECG is normal. This is yeah. something that can probably wait. You know, and on the flip side, if the troponin is normal, but it's only been going on and it's so typical for an hour, you know, this is somebody, you know, that I'm going to really look at these maybe dynamic T wave changes and something else and, and send him earlier and have an idea. Can this guy go to the lab? Does he have any strong feelings about going to the lab? Don't get into the nitty gritty, you know, consenting him for a procedure. But if he, I get there and he's like, I would, I know exactly what a cath is and I'd never want one again no matter what, I'll run out of here. Those are good things to know before. Yeah, I think yeah. also, especially with the patient population we have at UIC, if they're active drug users and you're worried that they're gonna take their dual antiplatelet after the cath, I know yeah. that's a big consideration on whether, yeah. depending on what stent they're gonna put, so that's a good, I think, yeah. good information to kind of know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to gauge whether they're going to take you, it or not. If they absolutely say they won't take medications, that, that means something to me. But, um, you know, whether they're a drug user or not, you know, I give them the opportunity um, so, and just yeah. tell them that this is necessary. You know, that's right. part of my consenting process. So that doesn't figure as I don't want, uh, you know, people to shy away from asking me these questions. And, and of course, that cath for, for an uh, acute coronary syndrome or a STEMI, uh, not necessarily an STEMI, but for a STEMI, it's a, it's kind of life or death to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, no, it so, doesn't matter that yeah. if there's a STEMI, I don't care if he was shooting heroin while, while uh, you know, they were doing the ECG. Yeah, he has access already. So. Yeah. 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 It's clean, make sure you rub some alcohol swabs around yeah. him, you're good to go. <laughs> you're good to go. He'd be like, no, 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 here. Yeah, a little more proximal. That's what we get to involve our infectious disease colleagues yeah, and make right. sure they've got a job to stick around for. <laughs> yeah. Something's got to pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, all right, so... Perfect. I think that's a good one for coronary, you know, syndromes in general. What is the nature of the chest pain? What are the vitals? How concerned are you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the EKG? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the functional capacity and all these other things? Yeah. I think another big category that, you know, residents are, at least that, you know, that we're sometimes uncomfortable with is just arrhythmias in general. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to an arrhythmia, irregular rhythm, I mean, EKGs can be tough to read sometimes, distributing, you know, narrow complex, wide complex, irregular, what are they in? Um, so what should, uh, you know, us from the internal medicine have done uh, before we talk to you? You know, should we, you know, what, 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 what you guys want us to do going forward from there? And I'll say we, you know, we talked at the last, uh, uh, edition of this, you know, what is a threshold of appropriateness? And, you know, the, the right answer to that is whatever you feel as the consultee, yeah. right? You, if you feel you need help, if you need a consult, you need a consult and nobody should necessarily judge that yeah. uh, necessarily. Um, but what would you feel is kind of a, an adequate threshold of, of, oh, you know, this was AFib and RVR and they just gave metoprolol and there's nothing else to do? Or when do you think is it absolutely necessary for, for you guys to get involved? Yeah, we're a little bit more uh, type of cookbook docs over here. We can't think too
too much as such as so we like to see uh, every new AFib this is the first time AFib even if it's in the setting of something else it might not be an emergency we might not see it overnight but we like to you know give everybody a chance to have sinus rhythm if this is chronic AFib no matter what we do we can't get them out of it it's not causing them any trouble that might be something I wouldn't uh, want to see but new AFib I think always deserves a, a shot um, with cardiology, you know, let us take a crack at it. Uh, you know, symptomatic symptoms. Uh, I always want to know about symptoms. This patient went into AVNRT on telly while she was sleeping um, for a minute um, and, and, you know, has no other problems um, cardiac wise. That's not really something I get too excited about. I know it's, you know, very fast and it's uh, a different type of rhythm. It's pretty dramatic, you know, fast on, fast off. But there's no symptoms associated with it. That's a benign um, arrhythmia. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, some of the some of the things that nurses call you, hey, you had XYZ beats of yeah. XYZ. Yeah. What about those? Yeah. So the 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 train, you know, kind of keeps rolling, right? The nurse calls freaking out about it because it makes you think you you should be more worried about something, and then it just keeps on rolling up until you know the buck has to stop somewhere. But you know, it just depends. It's all situational. You know, PACs generally are pretty benign, especially in, you know, young people that don't have any other arrhythmias. It might be a, you know, older people, you know, uh, that might may or may not have a history of AFib or had a stroke or something like that. Maybe that would tend to say maybe they have an underlying atrial arrhythmia. Uh, PVCs by themselves, um, as long as they're not symptomatic, usually uh, pretty okay. The tubes? Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, runs of VT, you know, it depends on what the scenario is. I think we get called about that the most overnight because the nurses don't know what to do and none of us really know what to do. Um, I think we've got a pretty good uh, mentorship program from the senior residents down to the intern, up titrate beta blocker if we can, decrease pain, suffering, uh, you know, and then, you know, kittens and rainbows. Uh, but generally, oh, yeah. we don't get too puppies excited. Puppies are the new guidelines from what I hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. puppies. Everybody loves a puppy. But yeah, yeah I, I don't think they give know, everybody an iPad with like Instagram, you know, hashtag cats or something. Yeah. I don't think there's anything one 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 off gotcha. on the, these tele events. You know, the less tele, the better. Honestly, I think we use <laughs> yeah. way too much tele. Yeah, uh, we know way too much information. If a patient has no symptoms and no indication for tele, I think if we could DC the tele yeah. and free it up for somebody that really needs it, I think it'd be helpful. Yeah. So overall, rhythm specific, patient specific, and never, you know never hesitate to at least discuss it with cardiology and they might yeah. say you know what we should probably take a look at this guy get yeah. an echo get some you know make sure there's nothing structural going on or exactly. whatever yeah gotcha. i think you know in general if you're going to consult cardiology like a formal consult we're going to ask for an echo at some point so just you can put those both in yeah. together you know you know and a lot of times on our service you know you, we we're all with general medicine attendings who you may or may not feel comfortable with the specific cardiac and they and then we may not make a formal consult but we do this legendary curbside yeah so if you know from a resident standpoint if we want to curbside you guys what is an appropriate curbside because you don't necessarily need to know everything about the patient so how should they kind yeah. of approach you and with what information specifically yeah. do you i think uh, that's a great question. I think we're always open for curbside, but there has to be a question. You can't be like, hey, I've got this guy. Could you take a look at him yeah. and let me know? And, and and so that makes me think, you know, if you're really that, I think anytime you're uncomfortable, feel free to ask. You know, maybe it, you don't think it deserves a, a full note or a full staff or things like that. But, you know, we're happy to help with anything that makes you uncomfortable. Just kind of try to articulate what you're kind of concerned about um, and ask us. And there's no question that's too dumb if you're just like, hey, this guy has 
has uh, mild aortic stenosis, what should I do for surveillance on him? And we're like, okay, you know, uh, every one or two years or something like that. It's an easy question. It's, a, you know, unfortunately in this, or maybe unfortunately in this day and age, it's also a Googleable thing. But if there's some questions on the things you're reading, things like that. But just have a good question, just like if you were going to, uh, you know, throw something in, in Google. You know, you're not, you're, yeah. you're trash in, trash out. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, all of your consultants are here to help. And I've gotten questions off the books on everything. And, sure you, you know, family to. members, friends, patients, you name it. Um, so I think use your hospital resources. You, there's always somebody you can ask a question. And it's, it's the same in the real world, right? Like you have a cardiology friend who, who you text or something, you know, about a family member or about a patient. I have friends that I ask questions all the time that are, you know, for example, most recently I had a very interesting and severe case uh, that, you know, I shared some pulmonary images with one of my friends who was a pulmonologist, and he was like, yeah, you know, and we kind of talked yeah. about it. So curbsides, I think, are definitely appropriate, as both of you guys were saying, and as we mentioned last time, it does come in with your bias baked in, so I think the more you try to unbias your question and and try to give data and, and uh, have the consultant maybe give you the best unbiased advice, uh, the better. Yeah, uh, but it, it's still going to have bias because you're the one delivering the information. They're not independently looking at the chart necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And be interested in your in your patients yeah, too. Like, there's the, nothing worse than here, like like someone picking up yeah. a piece of paper and just reading something drolly off. It's just you're going to get a bad answer. From no, them. absolutely. It's not be fun for anybody. You can see it from both sides. But I mean, I mean, my advice to future interns and you know residents going up is when you have them on the phone, like abuse them like try to get all the knowledge you can out of them think of hypothetical situations if x then y then yeah. what z yeah. like you know and even if it doesn't pertain to the patient these these fellows have more specialized knowledge than you so you can use them abuse them yeah. get as much knowledge as you can because that's really that's the most where i think i've learned is getting to know some of these fellows and just asking them as many questions as you can and that way you don't have to do the dreaded hang your phone up and the senior asks you know did you ask about this or this or the attending asks and then you have to page them back because I mean, I know from a consultant standpoint, <laughs> getting the three pages in a row can't be, you know, entertaining. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, to I'll let the secret out of here a little bit too. Uh, you know, these pointed, really good questions, they, they're how we learn as well. Yeah. You know, really like, I haven't thought about that before. Let me look into this. Let me ask some people. Exactly. And uh, these really challenging situations are really what we kind of are in training for and, and looking to do. So please, the tougher questions, you know, maybe not always, uh, uh, but uh, it's where we learn too. Cool. And another condition that I was thinking about is heart failure. Uh, anything kind of specific that you guys feel uh, we can improve communication in or what what should we be thinking about, yeah. you know, if we're managing these, these you know, yeah. some some of these heart failure patients in our medicine services? Yeah. Uh, any pointers, anything that, think, that you uh, think should be communicated between you guys? Don't turn off your brain. Everything that's swollen isn't heart failure. Uh, just because they have this supposed history of heart failure from uh, the uh, you know nursing facility records or something like that doesn't necessarily mean they have heart failure. I think you know always keep your brain open. Think about the right and the left systems separately. Uh, you know, if they have uh, swelling, that means they might have right-sided volume overloaded, right. but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they have left-sided. So look at the chest x-ray, you know, look at the echo if you can. Um, ask some questions. We can show you a little bit about hemodynamics on, on echoes and things like that, and the things that we're kind of thinking about. Um, 
but i think just think about future therapies i think for these patients that do end up on the the medicine services here and there i think about kind of their long-term dispo because heart failure uh is shouldn't really be an inpatient disease this day and age we have all of the machinery in in place so kind of touch base with the patient what's going on you know this and there it should be maybe short stays here and there uh but really there's something kind of falling through the cracks on their overall care if they're in the hospital over and over again any pitfalls with regards to inciting events other than you know your common non-compliance and stuff like that uh, always think ischemia always think ischemia it's either ischemia or mcdonald's one of the two oh, yeah. exactly well, thanksgiving uh yeah. or or, or mm. ischemia i think about the the uh, cpap uh, osa you yeah. know you, right. you give especially your patients in the clinic you know remind them uh, every time you're hypoxic at night you're putting you know two three four times the amount of stress right. on the heart uh and that can really kind of tip you over and make you much much worse because it's an uncomfortable therapy at least in the beginning yeah, what about uh, what do the cardiology world think about the the legendary diastolic heart failure? A lot of times we get an echo that says possibly diastolic dysfunction. They had some lower extremity swelling, and all of a sudden they have half path on their note for the rest of eternity. Yeah. Like how how should we be thinking of that, especially when an echo is inconclusive? Uh, but you know, more than likely, you know, their blood pressure is controlled. It shouldn't be maybe. Yeah. So, uh, you know, without a long-standing history of hypertension and a young person, uh, normal structural heart, I would think HEFPEF should be off the, the chart. But really look back and, and kind of look to see if they have, you know, pulmonary edema is going to be one of the most specific things for congestive heart failure. You know, that's kind yeah. of what we're talking about. And then look at that BNP at that time. Every person's BNP is going to be kind of unique to them. It's going to go up and it's going to go down. But uh, it kind of lets you know what that, that particular patient's kind of uh, volume status could be with this history of, of heart failure and look to see if they ever truly had you know this kind of admission or this diagnosis where they required diuresis they had some pulmonary edema things like that those are kind of the more specific things to hang your hat on yeah and I guess other causes too I mean you should see some of these right-sided pressures on the echo mm-hmm. um, but you know is your does your patient have undiagnosed OSA pulmonary hypertension CTEF all these other things too exactly yeah, because, uh, you know, a lot of these patients share a lot of uh, comorbid conditions, uh, you know, obesity, liver problems, uh, you know, COPD sometimes, uh, and then long-standing hypertension, and you're kind of tr- left stuck trying to sort out which one is causing which at which time, and, and it's hard for us, too. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Uh, trying to think what other questions. Another good one that you guys get called for potentially is, like, hypertensive crises. Yeah. Um, is there any any pitfalls there in communication or in prepping? Stay away from IV medications as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this patient, you know, this troponin of 0.1 isn't a hypertensive emergency uh, in general, uh, you know, these there's always uh, yeah these troponins are, are are victims of their own success, right? Exactly. They're very sensitive. Exactly. And so give them oral medications, give them all of their oral medications that they should have taken that day, unless, you know, they really haven't been taking anything for months and months and months. Uh, Just get them as soon as possible in the ER, you know. I wish we could call down there and be like, hey, just give him his home meds and see what happens in two or three hours. Uh, But the the most dangerous thing we can do is stroke these patients out by giving them 25 milligrams of IV hydral and, you know, 60 milligrams of Lasix and drop their pressures from 250 to to 100. Uh, And they'll, they'll let you know first. They'll feel terrible. Uh, yeah. those are the pitfalls. Yeah, uh, ask uh, ask your consultant, I, I mean, ask your cardiologist on call, and the information to have at hand would be, what are the signs of band organ damage, yeah. if, if at all? And, Correct. you know, yeah. you mentioned that point, point oh, 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 one yeah. troponin, yeah. 
but what's the kidney think, function? What's, you know, the, the is there altered mentation, you know, hypertensive encephalopathy, all these the, other things. The encephalopathy, I think, is something that you should think about. Uh, this isn't a headache. Uh, you, people get headaches when their blood pressure is high, but that's not an emergency. Uh, you know, bleeds, obviously, uh, emergency of brain brain bleeds, but, you know, if they're confused and they're hypertensive, that's something to oh, worry okay. about. let me put that in the emergency category. I had her in the non-emergency <laughs> category. <laughs> Pulmonary edema is, yeah. is a very common one. And then this AKI is the tricky one, right? Is this AKI from the blood pressure? Is this longstanding? Uh, it's really hard to say. So, you know, there's this classic people thing, look at the uh, the urine and there's blood in the urine. I'm not sure. I haven't, you know, clinically been that useful for me. Gotcha. Yeah. What do you? What would you tell a cross-cover intern who's getting paged, you know, four or five times from the nurses at 12 in the morning? The blood pressure's been in the 190s the entire time. They go and see the patient. They have no symptoms. They've already gotten their morning meds. You know, if the patient's fine, do you do you think that they should wait in the 190s until the morning, or you know, because they're the yeah. intern now, you know, yeah. is in this weird. Uh, weird place on what to do with them. Exactly. And talk about victims of their own success, uh, waking up patients uh, for asympt asymptomatic patients yeah. for vitals. Uh, it can really kind of uh, screw with, uh, you know, the cross-cover interns. You know, they have doctors available to them 24-7. We're expected to make all of these decisions in the middle of the night. I think um, it's okay, I think is what I should tell the, the cross-cover interns. Yeah. You know, you can make a couple of different decisions. You can increase some of their uh, home meds. Uh, if they're com truly asymptomatic, you know, they don't need anything. Uh, they can wait till the morning, just, you know, but the nurses don't really like that answer. So a lot of times we'll give these kind of, um, kind of uh, uh, very minimally therapeutic levels of like hydralazine PO, like, you know, give them 10 milligrams of hydralazine to make the nurse feel better, not for the patient. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and honestly, a lot of times I think if you do sit down and talk with those nurses in the situation, you explain to them, you're not just ignoring the issue and that you're worried about stroking the patient out. Yeah. It yeah. might just take an extra three to four minutes, but if you actually address the situation, you may actually not, you can get away with doing nothing and you're doing right yeah. for the patient, but you're just communicating a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, with the nurse and the, you know they're trying to do what's best for the patient yeah. as well most yeah. of the time absolutely kind of just telling telling them that this is more of a chronic kind of long-term management question rather than an acute problem exactly. like yeah sounds like he needs a little bit more listen up real daily and we'll, we'll change that tomorrow yeah cool anything else we missed I think that's kind of most of what we had to talk about so we talked a little bit about your day and we talked a little bit about how to consult you know uh, when when to call you kind of what your flow is and some common pitfalls and common problems yeah Cool. Yeah, I mean, I Sounds think after great. this talk, we've kind of figured out, you know, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, mm -hmm. AFib, all should be admitted to the infectious disease service, <laughs> especially when Dr. Manalora is on, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said, you know, have they checked the HIV? Oh, the, it's pending? We'll just put them on the infectious yeah, disease yeah. service. And put them on contact resulted. isolation plus, yeah. plus uh, put them on airborne. Plus. Uh, put them in the...